Um, the the day that the, this murder happens. So, what happened yesterday? Because it kind of felt like we've been talking about this trial for months and months and months. But yesterday was actually the first day that something really significant happened in court. Yeah, I think we've you know it's fair to say we've been talking about this case for years, almost seven years now since the Regency shooting. And yesterday was the opening tri- day of Jerry the Monk Hutch's murder trial. So the charges put to Jerry Hutch. Um, he was extradited from Spain a little over a year ago to face this charge. Um, he challenged the jurisdiction of the Special Criminal Court to hear his case. So this is being heard before the Special Criminal Court. There's no jury. Um, three judges will hear the facts of the case. They will ultimately decide on a verdict. Um, but yesterday, the charges put him and he defiantly stood up and pleaded not guilty. So he is contesting the charge. And what happened after that then was the prosecuting barrister, Sean Gillan, gave the court, I suppose, an overview or a roadmap of the case that he intends to present over the coming months. You know, allegations were made against not only Jerry Hutch, because there are two others in the dock, albeit facing, you know, less serious charges. Um, and he then spent some time going through the case that he's going to hopefully, well, he hopes he will prove that case beyond a reasonable doubt over, over the coming months, time will tell. What are the central tenets of that case that, he's, um, that he laid out yesterday? Well, he gave us a background about what happened, the undisputed facts about what happened that day. As you mentioned, this was a boxing event at the Regency Hotel. It was the day before the actual main event was due to take place in the National Boxing Stadium, appropriately called the Clash of the Clans. This was a joint promotion between Frank Warren's Queensbury Promotions and also MGM, which we know was was co-owned by Daniel Kinahan and the boxer uh, Matthew Macklin. Um, so this was the way in for that event on the Friday evening or on the Friday afternoon, rather, because we heard that at about two o'clock in the afternoon, um, a silver Ford Transit van pulled up outside a security gate adjacent to the hotel. Two men then were seen entering the laundry room entrance of the hotel. One of them was wearing a wig and dressed as a woman. Um, a witness yesterday afternoon um, gave evidence of seeing this person inside the suite where the weigh-in was taking place. And he said that there was no way you would think this was a woman. It was clearly a man. The other person then who entered through that laundry room entrance was wearing a flat cap and he was described through the opening address yesterday simply as flat cap. We now know that was a man called Kevin Murray, a dissident Republican who has since passed away. He was one of the suspected gunmen on that day. Uh, Sean Gillan, in his opening address, told the judges that they would see CCTV footage that would show these two men moving through the hotel, moving towards the suite where the weigh-in was taking place. They were armed with handguns. Um, there were about two to 250 people there. We heard from a witness yesterday. Panic ensued. People fled for their lives. People died for cover. Um, 
At about 2.29pm then, we heard that the van that was parked outside the security gate moved to the front of the hotel. The side door opened. We heard three men armed with assault rifles and dressed as Gardaí entered the main entrance of the hotel. While all this was going on inside, the van then did a U-turn outside the hotel. It pointed back in the direction from which it had come. The side door of the van remained open throughout everything that unfolded within, within the hotel. Shots were fired. Um, and David Byrne ultimately lost his life. And Sean Galan told the judges yesterday that they'll hear evidence that um, of uh, CCTV evidence would be shown of David Byrne leaving the suite, running towards the reception area. Uh, one of the armed men described yesterday as Tactical 1 shot him. A man called Tactical 2 also shot him. Uh, David Byrne went down. And um, we heard that Tactical 2 then hopped the desk. There was a man hiding behind the reception desk, um, cowering, you know, hiding from the attackers. The gun was pointed at him for a moment, but Tactical 2 didn't open fire, went back over the desk, walked coldly and calmly over to David Byrne and shot him in the head and body. Um, David Byrne was shot six times. He died at the scene. We heard two other men were shot at the scene, um, but they were uh, treated for non-fatal or life-threatening injuries. Now, where does Jerry Hutch come into all of this? As I mentioned, he's been charged with murder. And for the first time yesterday, Sean Galan outlined the specific allegation in relation to Mr. Hutch. There are two strands to it. So earlier this week, I'm sure you're very familiar with the case of Jonathan and Patrick Dowdall. Jonathan Dowdall, a former Sinn Féin councillor, was sentenced to four years for facilitating what happened at the Regency Hotel that day. His father, Patrick, got two years for the same charge. They essentially made a hotel room available to the criminal organisation behind this attack. And what Mr. Galan is going to try and prove beyond a reasonable doubt over the coming months is that the night before the shooting, Jerry Hutch met with Jonathan Dowdall and those key cards were handed over to him. Um, Mr. Galan said that he will present evidence that those key cards were then used by Flatcap, one of the the gunmen. Um, and also we heard about a meeting that took place sometime after the shooting. We heard this was a meeting between Jerry Hutch and Jonathan Dowdall in a park in Whitehall in Dublin where Jonathan Dowdall will say that Jerry Hutch was edgy um, and that he told him Again, this is an allegation that he was part of the team that shot David Byrne. We also heard that evidence would be presented about a car journey that they took to Straban on the 7th of March 2016. The car was bugged. It was under surveillance. Um, recorded conversations will be played in due course. And Mr. Glan said yesterday that Jonathan, Howdall, Jonathan Dowdall and Jerry Hutch could be heard discussing the feud with the Kinnahans, discussing what happened at the Regency Hotel, related matters, the possibility of a ceasefire. These were all recorded. And again, they will be presented as evidence in due course. So <clears throat> the understanding is that that was booked by the, the guardee, was it? It wasn't said okay. specifically yesterday. <clears throat> All that the judges were told yesterday was that this car was under surveillance and there were recorded conversations of what the two men talked about while driving towards Straban. And this was, according to Mr. Galan, on the back of a request from Jerry Hutch to Jonathan Dowdall to make contact with his Republican contacts uh, in the north in the hope that they could bring some sort of an end to the ceasefire because Mr. Galan said that Jerry Hutch was apparently very concerned about his family's safety. And this was in light of a photograph, a very famous infamous photograph that I'm sure we've all seen that appeared on the front page of the Sunday World after the shooting and this was of Flat Cap and the man in drag uh, entering the hotel um, Jerry Hutch according to Jonathan Dowdall and 
in Mr. Galan's opening address yesterday, he said that he was concerned about his family's safety in light of that photo being published. Okay, so the, the, the implication is that the, the photograph would have been identifiable to um, the rival gang and they would have acted on the basis of that photograph. Yeah, again, yesterday was just an overview. So, you know, Mr. Galan didn't delve into the, the details. Um, if Jonathan Dowdall is going to take the stand and he has indicated his willingness to do so, you know, he will be asked about um, that evidence. He will give more detail. But yesterday, you know, wasn't actually evidence. I mean, everything that I've described to you there wasn't evidence for the court to consider. It was just essentially a roadmap. Um, That's the narrative that the prosecution lays out. Yes, that they will have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay, and um, in terms of the defence, when do you start hearing from the defence about how the special criminal court is is not something that we are privy to that often. It's been, I think it's been a while since a a trial of this magnitude was heard there. So um, in terms of the procedure, does it work exactly the same as a a normal jury court? Exactly the same. The only real difference is the fact that there isn't a jury, you know, in the ordinary courts before the central criminal court where I would mostly ply my trade. Um, Cases are decided by 12 men and women, you know, um, and as I mentioned, Jerry Hutch did challenge the jurisdiction of the Special Criminal Court to hear this case, but the Director of Public Prosecutions felt that the ordinary courts where, you know, a jury would decide the fate of an accused person were inadequate to deal with this case. You know, and in general terms, I mean, the court... The court was set up back in the day to deal with cases of terrorism, terrorist organisations. But there are two special uh, criminal courts nowadays, and that's because they're so busy dealing with gangland cases and and organised crime. So in terms of the defence, I mean, Jerry Hutch has pleaded not guilty to this charge. He, like anybody else that pleads not guilty to a criminal offence, is entitled to a presumption of innocence. He doesn't have to prove his case. It's up to Sean Galan and his team to prove his case beyond a reasonable doubt. His barrister, Brendan Grant, doesn't even have to cross-examine witnesses. Um, But he did so yesterday when a witness was, was called in the afternoon and you would imagine over the coming months he will pose you know, certain questions to certain witnesses. Jonathan Dowd will probably be a number one priority when he's called later in the trial. Okay. Um, you, you say months. It's like, uh, this is not going to be a short trial at all. No. Um, um, probably because of, I suppose, the the complexities of the investigation and, and also the fact there are two others in the dock beside Jerry Hutch that have barely got a mention over the past couple of days. Uh, two Dublin men in their 50s, Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy, and they're both facing the same charge. They're accused of facilitating the murder by making certain vehicles available to the criminal organisation. We heard a lot of detail about the movements of those vehicles and that will be thrashed out in court. CCTV evidence, I've no doubt, will be presented in relation to five or six vehicles. They are being accused of providing two vehicles in in particular, a black BMW and a, and a Toyota Avensis a taxi. It's going to take three months and Brendan Grehan um, who is defending Jerry, Much, as I, Jerry Hutch as I said earlier uh, he gave the court an indication as to whether or not the trial was likely to finish up before Christmas. He said he was hopeful but it was more likely that it would probably go into the new year so it is going to be a long one. How, how significant, Frank, is Jonathan Dowdall's willingness to testify? Because, of course, it puts um, questions over his own safety. I know his, his, his own sentence is due to start in a couple of weeks, but significant that he is willing to speak at this trial. 
We don't know the significance at this point because we don't know precisely what he's going to say. Now, we did get a flavour of what he's going to say yesterday, specifically in relation to this alleged meeting between him and Jerry Hutch in Whitehall in Dublin, where Jerry Hutch is again alleged to have said that he was a part of that team that shot David Byrne. Now, that wasn't a recorded conversation. The conversation in the car apparently was recorded. The car was under surveillance and those recordings will be played to the court. So if that evidence is going to be presented by the prosecution, it will be through the testimony of Jonathan Dowdall. Now, when Jonathan Dowdall was sentenced earlier this week, and Jonathan Dowdall was initially charged with murder, by the way, um, he pleaded guilty to that lesser charge of facilitating the murder by booking that hotel room at the Regency that was accepted by the DPP and they're no longer pursuing the prosecution in relation to the murder charge. He is in protective custody at the moment. He has been assessed for the witness protection programme, but he has indicated his willingness to testify. And at his sentence hearing, his defence barrister described this evidence as having a hard currency value. But again, that will ultimately be for this newly constituted special criminal court. Ms. Justice Tara Burns is presiding over it. You know, if Jonathan Dowdall does give evidence and the defence will be given an opportunity to cross-examine him if they so wish, it will ultimately be up to the judges to decide on the credibility, the relevance, the accuracy of his evidence. Uh, Daniel Killian was obviously <clears throat> the main target on the day of the, of the Regency. Is that generally accepted? Um, it wasn't said yesterday, but what they did say yesterday was that it was clear that this wasn't a random attack. This was sophisticated. It was organised by a resourced criminal organisation. And Mr. Galan did say yesterday that um, the impression they got from CCTV footage was that the armed men were looking for somebody. Um, there was mention of somebody leaving the hotel unharmed, escaping through the car park that was mentioned. But Daniel Kinnahan's name wasn't mentioned at all yesterday. The only reference to the Kinnahan's was in relation to the feud. Right. And we'll hear from a senior guard who will outline, I suppose, the background in relation to that feud, the structures of the various criminal organisations involved. Uh, MGM was mentioned yesterday. We know that, that was set up in Marbella uh, by Daniel Kinnahan. But only last week, uh, Daniel Kenahan was again referred to by a High Court judge as one of the leaders of the Kenahan Crime Organisation Group and that was in relation to an application by the Criminal Assets Bureau to seize a mansion in Dublin once owned by Jim Mansfield Jr who has been sent to prison himself for perverting the course of justice and Daniel Kenahan was mentioned as one of two owners, Thomas Bomber Cavan, another associate of his who was serving a lengthy sentence over in England for drug trafficking offences, was mentioned as another owner of that. So, no, Daniel Kinnan wasn't specifically named yesterday, but the Kinnans were referenced. Okay, Frank, it's going to be a busy few months for you, I suspect. Is it every day? Like, do we, something happens every day, basically, between now and whenever the trial finishes? Yes, so there was some evidence in relation to maps and photographs that were heard yesterday after the opening address. Some guard the witness gave evidence. We heard from the former president of the Boxing Union of Ireland, a man called Mel Crystal. He was doing the weigh-in that day. He described how Gary Sweeney, a boxer from Mayo, was being weighed. He was weighing him when shots were fired and when it all kicked off. He described seeing two of the gunmen running through the suite and he described leaving, exiting the building and he said that after he grabbed his stuff and he was making his exit, he said that in the hallway he saw two men clearly wounded and then he saw a body uh, in the reception area and he gave some very distressing evidence about what he saw as he left. So yes, witnesses will be called now for the foreseeable. Um, there may be some legal argument during this trial and in the ordinary course of things, you know, a jury would be excused, yeah. a legal argument would take 
take place in their absence. We wouldn't be able to talk Report about it honestly. until after the event. But this is a little bit different. It is a bit different, isn't it? And like... Um uh, obviously, the whole point of not being able to report on stuff um, and not being able to talk about things when a jury is there is that in case the jury might get influenced. But I always assume the assumption is that judges are not going to be influenced by anything they're reading in the papers because, you know, they're more qualified and they're, they're, not, they're above they're all not, of that. They're not they're like not, us. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not influenced by, you know, they will say they're not influenced by the media coverage and all they're concerned about is the evidence, the yeah. evidence that is presented Does to them. Does that change the how box. this case gets reported on, do you think, as time goes on, where, you know, people would be very, very reluctant to report or speculate or discuss or describe anything, whereas actually with a case like this, where it is special criminal court, uh, those reporting conventions are less important. It's... A little bit different. I wouldn't say they're less important, but it's definitely, and I know it's a funny thing to say because I passed a number of Gardaí with machine guns as I entered the Special Criminal Court yesterday. So it seems like a strange thing to say that they're almost easier to cover and, you know, a little bit less uncomfortable than when there's a jury. I mean, you still have to be mindful of your role as a court reporter when you're covering cases before the Special Criminal Court. I mean, you can't say anything that could potentially prejudice the case against uh, Jerry Hutch, but certainly it's a little bit more relaxed than when there's a jury there who are being told not to listen to Off the Ball yeah. and other shows on News Talk, not to read the newspapers, um, you know, because they could potentially read something that is inaccurate and potentially prejudicial. Yeah. So there generally, we're that a safe risk. haven as well. Mm. Put that out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, Jerry. Your job is safe, Shane. Okay. <laughs> Frank, good stuff. Thanks a million. No problem. Uh, Thanks, Frank Grady, um giving us details on on this case, and I, I will reiterate that it is definitely a, a sports story. This is like embedded in boxing, and that, uh, like Mel Crystal, obviously is um, a storied. Um, person in Irish boxing history himself and his brother and their relationship with professional boxing goes back decades OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember effortless shave magnificent mo.